Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to, well, potentially the uh, final instant reaction podcast of the NRL season. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me in what is potentially the last NRL Instant Reaction podcast, and I say potentially because the eel sprung perhaps the upset of the season, 60s. Uh, but yeah, you're joining me as my good friend and co-host of the show. Um, yeah, it's a, usually I, I feel like this when we're trying to compose ourselves after a, a real ugly loss, a la what we saw against Brisbane a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't know what to make of what we saw tonight. Well, mate, I'll tell you what I made of that. I made of that an 18-point win over the Panthers, which I'm going to take any day of the week. Obviously, there's the frustration involved. Where was that the last few weeks? Where's that been in the back half of the season because of the effort-on-effort plays, the positivity that was obvious there right from the start? The mindset was there. Everything that we spoke about in the preview that we were concerned uh, that Parramatta was lacking, self-belief, positivity, uh, you know, it was it was there in spades and we bashed them all over the park. Yeah, it was the most on-brand Parramatta-style game we've seen in maybe months. Um, I know we had a nice run through the, the mid-portion of the season. We were playing some great football, but since that loss to the Warriors where it's all been downhill, uh, this is by far the most iconic Parramatta-type victory we've had. Well, I messaged you early in the game when we had Ryan Madison bomb that try, and I said to you, watch what happens yeah, from ground, here. Yeah, Groundhog Day. It was literally the Rooster script from the week before. Eels jump out to the early lead. Will Penasini gets uh, the ball dislodged as he tries to ground the ball via Lindsay Collins. And yeah, it was literally the same thing here. Dejan Arce busts the line, puts Madison over. Uh, but there's a, and it was, but there was a microscopic knock on there with Madison. Uh, not quite getting the ball down with the chases behind him. And you just, you're like, oh, my God, it's going to happen again. It's, it's literally the same game. Yeah, and Penrith, I think it was two sets later, got their try to pull it back to 6-4. But from there, I mean, there wasn't – I shouldn't have been that negative because not at any stage had the Eels demonstrated that their heads weren't screwed on for this game. So I think it was a bit unfair for me to be thinking that. I, I guess I'm coloured by what we've seen in the last month to six weeks of football. But uh, before we get into the details, mate, a shout out to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. And also just a, a, a quick shout out. Well, I've got the opportunity because uh, Parramatta Lease Club's got their amalgamation with Dural Country Club, and they've got a function on at Dural Country Club tomorrow, kicking off at five o'clock. So if you're in the Hills District and you're a Leagues Club member or Dural Country Club member, get up there because they've uh, uh, they've got the official ceremony. But uh, just as importantly, they've got Muggo and Lids there. John Muggle and David Lydiard. So you can get there and catch up with a couple of Eels yeah, legends. A couple of high-quality characters right there. Fantastic Absolutely. players, even better blokes. Yep, absolutely. And uh, given that they've been past guests and much and very enjoyable guests to have on 
the tip sheet uh, in our uh, post-match show in Parramatta Leagues Club, I had to give it a mention that they're going to be there. So, uh, yeah, if you, as I said, if you're up in the Hills District and you've got a chance to get up there, check out the uh, facilities up at Dural Country Club and also catch up with a couple of legends. So, um, yes, mate, let's get on with having a look at this match because getting two wins over the Panthers in the regular season. Yeah, in the sweep. Oh, it's... Oh, you know, it is so frustrating, isn't it, that when we can see the best of the Eels like this, and much the same as last year, two wins in the regular season over the Panthers. I know they... they I mean, we're not qualified for finals football this year, and that's a whole story in itself. Um, you know, something to be greatly disappointed about. But it's, it's so odd that we play the type of football during the regular season that upsets the Panthers. We couldn't reproduce it in the finals last year, or rather they were able to lift to a, a completely different level. But they really don't enjoy playing against Parramatta in the regular season. It's... I don't know why. I think, I think it is that physicality, mate. I really do. I think we upset them in their game in that regard. And if we get on top of them early, they find it hard to rest that back. And we also uh, can attack it at odd angles too. Uh, we can play conventional attacking structures, but also slip out of structure. But in a in a structure in and of itself, uh, you know, and that that really challenges it challenges a defensive line that prides itself on the integrity it has in wrapping up the ball carrier. Um, so yeah, we 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 certainly attack it in a couple of different ways, and that troubles them. And, and it's no doubt that. You know, they've had enough. They got they've gotten the the big wins in the finals, which is obviously incredibly frustrating, culminating in last year's grand final. But we play a brand of football that definitely matches up to them, and you know they they are a dynasty team. Like they are one of the best teams of the modern era, um, and potentially going to go down as an all time team if they win this year. Uh, but the the Eels, yeah, I mean, I, I think Vossi was on commentary saying that the Eels, sorry, the Panthers have lost just sixteen games since the beginning of twenty twenty, which is the start of their, essentially the start of their premiership run. They won in 21, they won in 22, they went to the grand final in 2020. That's when it all started coming together. Of those 16 games, five of them have come to Parramatta. So we've literally handed them a third of all their defeats since then, which is pretty crazy. And I think some of their other defeats were when they've rested players. Yeah, in, yeah. Uh, or, or had players stood down during origin games. So that's a... That's really a mark of their consistency during those years. And also, I guess, that frustrating part with Parramatta, that the team that's the uh, the juggernaut team of, of the 2020s is, is a team that we're probably been – well, we have had the best record against. So, anyway, mate, there's some interesting stats that I know you're about to share with our listeners because – it adds, I think some of these stats add extra merit to the Eels' victory tonight. Yeah, so Eels 32-18, obviously, winners on the scoreboard. And uh, that, that was a scoreboard that probably reflects a little bit kindly on the Panthers, given that they scored a, a, a brace of late tries in the 75th and 77th minute. Their try scorers, Tyron Peachy, Nathan Cleary, Liam Martin and Tom Jenkins. Uh, bad night for Cleary off the tee, though. One from four, very uncharacteristic. Eels. They had uh, six try scorers, well, six tries scored, only two try scorers, to phrase that better, in their 32 points. 
Mike Acevo breaking his longest career drought of tries in emphatic fashion. Bagging a double Hattie with the uh, four tries. Quinton Gufferson falling one short of his uh, own hat-trick there, uh, which was uh, denied by him cashing out early with a what looked to be a, a, a knee injury that apparently isn't too bad per uh, post-match reports, but uh, that's the six tries scored there for the Eels. Guffo, three from six, but geez, his three misses were all uh, literally a bee's appendage away from going in. He was uh, striking him swiftly off the tee. He also tacked on a penalty goal. Uh, that brings the Eels to the 32 points, but yeah, possession, not in favour of the blue and gold. Uh, Panthers with 54% of the ball there, 60s. Uh, they, were all, they were over plus five minutes in time of possession. Uh, both teams completing really well, 81% for the Panthers, 78% for the Eels. Uh, so good rates on both sides there. But uh, it's not tracked on NRL.com, but Fox Sports were sort of keeping tally for the game. Um, and I've got to say, by the end of the game, that the Panthers must have had 50-plus tackles inside 20 for the param- uh, on the Parramatta Eels goal line. It was, again, a mark of the effort on effort from the Eels players. A uh, number of times that the, the the Panthers were also held up over the line. Mm-hmm. and Including the uh, um, but, the unfortunate incident with Jerome Luai, uh, who, you know, I, I don't like a lot of what Luai does, but I certainly don't wish him injury like that. So uh, that was a shame. Now, it, it almost felt like what happened with Lane with his elbow, didn't it? The, yeah. The yeah, arm yeah. getting in that awkward position and a player falling on top of it. Yeah. It just It's like one of those football injuries where Bryce Cartwright makes a tremendous play. Uh, but Luai, in the act of trying to you know, force his way over the line to score, got that elbow, the, the non-ball-carrying arm down to try and you know, give, give himself the leverage to reach forwards, and it just got all wrong. Like, just awful, awful uh, luck there. And uh, I know that the, the commentators were trying to be optimistic, but looking at the mechanics of that injury, uh, I, I would be stunned if he's back this year. That looked like, uh, looked like a dislocated elbow plus serious ligament damage or tendon damage and maybe even like a, a fracture on the, on the socket. Yeah, it was it was particularly nasty, and I don't know. Maybe it, what did they say? It's normally three to six weeks. So, would you suggest that it's going to be at the higher end of that? Oh, we'll we'll have you forty twenty uh, replacement NRL physio. Uh, I mean, uh, I am speculating very loosely here, but like I said, I'll, I'll, maybe the grand final, or even maybe the grand final qualifier. Because what's that still? We saw one more week to play, so that's uh, about five weeks out still. Four or five weeks if out. If they so get that far. If they get that far, because, <laughs> you know, uh, Penrith obviously an outstanding team, but all it takes is, you know, a bad week and a, a bad week one game in the elimination bracket. So, yeah, um, definitely one to watch there. But in terms of the attacking stats, more runs and run meters for the Panthers, Eels with more line breaks, which is the first time in a while it feels like 60s. Uh, but they've also, both teams up at uh, 40, mid 40 tackle breaks, 46 for the Panthers, 47 for the Eels. Uh, play the ball speeds. Penrith really fast tonight, three point one nine seconds, and it actually felt like the Eels were were competing in the ruck too. So, yeah, credit to the Penrith team; they played the ball really rapidly. Uh, but only I three... think uh, Parramatta about three four weeks ago abandoned the clean ruck. Yes, but uh, even even in spite of that, the uh, Panthers just you know fighting for the play the ball really well. But Parramatta's play the ball speed also very healthy, three four seven. Uh, Eels had about 12 offloads in the first half and they only tacked on one more, it looks like. So winning the offload battle 13-12. to 12. Uh, Both teams, uh, yeah, defensive defensive tackle rate's not great. I think both coaches would point to that as it being an area to tidy up, although obviously Brad Arthur would have been loving the intent. Like you said, 60s, those goal line stands. But Penrith down at 82% effective tackle rate. Parramatta at 85.5, so 
a few percentage points up on the Panthers, but you never see Penrith down that low. Uh, no, and I think for a start, those offloads uh, in and line breaks in the first half that really, um, I think. I didn't check the heart, the stats at half time, but I reckon that the uh, effectiveness with the uh, the Panthers tackling would have been very, very low in that first mm-hmm. forty minutes. Nine errors apiece. Uh, then you got uh, three penalties conceded by the Eels. They won a penalty count sixties in their last game of the season. Four penalties conceded by the Panthers, so plus one to the Eels there. But two ruck infringements for the Parramatta Eels. Uh, no one put on report from the Eels, but the young winger McLean was put on report, and I would argue 60s, and I know that mechanically when there's a, a professional foul, it's either a sin bin or a penalty try, but when it's foul play in the act of scoring a try, why was it not a sin bin and a potential eight-point try? Because that was a swinging arm to the face. If that was in the... Well, gym- the, the, when the review was done of the tackle... It was swinging arm, can, wasn't it? it? Was the terminology connecting with force to the head? Yes, which is literally the template for a simbin this year. Yeah, and it, like I said, when it's a professional foul, when you've deliberately done something to impede someone in the act of scoring, that isn't a foul, like isn't foul play. It's one or the other. It is either a simbin or or a penalty try. And you can argue the merits of whether it should be one or both. I, I don't mind that. That's a different conversation. But this is foul play, and. If that was anywhere else in the field, that's 10 minutes in the Simbin. So why is it not a Simbin for this one? Yeah, yeah, we got the eight-point try, or potential eight-point try. We only kicked the one goal. Uh, but that's a Simbin. Like, that, that is just the, the long and short of it. That was a Simbin, and it did not go into the Simbin. Uh, in terms of player stats, though, 60s, let's celebrate what we saw from the Parramatta Reels. Uh, big games from Guffo and Sevo, obviously, for the try scoring. Uh, both around 130 metres on the ground from 13 carries apiece. Uh, five tackle breaks for Guffo, nine for Sevo. Uh, I think the Eels might have to patent the time machine that they built this week, 60s, in order to get 2019 Sevo back. Uh, because that's uh, a... <laughs> I think that's a... Uh, let's come back to Sevo's performance mm-hmm. after you finish the stats there, mate. Uh, Dillbags, just shy of 100 metres, but uh, very good in both uh, the capacity of halfback and fullback. Uh, had to go in there once Kenton Gufferson succumbed to that knee injury. Uh, I thought Junior Barlow was outstanding. He went for 20 runs and nearly 180 metres. Uh, no tackle breaks the big man, but he got a few offloads away. Uh, what's he credit? He's only credited for one, but he had some passes, must have been deemed before contact. Uh, and he got through 19 tackles with just a one miss, so a nice balanced workload for the big man. Uh, solid contributions, and yes, he had the botch try, but Maddo, Hopgood, Cardi, uh, often Gahi, except for that one error. Big Woody. And i got to say, Woody looked in great shape, 60s. Um, he had that last run in the game, and when he was standing in the tackle, he just looked really trim and, and looking like he might have a big preseason So uh, to build into next year. But, yeah, just great contributions across the board from the Parramatta Eels. That's how you beat the Penrith Panthers, isn't it? Uh, it? It takes a concerted team effort, and we saw that tonight. Yeah, yeah. It was – wasn't it a thing of beauty to have that Penrith – crowd just absolutely silenced i mean sitting there without um i mean it's the it's their worst nightmare is having just an overwhelming loss against the eagles yeah the season sweep uh the first ever first night football sellout as well they packed in at uh blue bet penrith park whatever you want to call it um 
Ham, our mutual associate, has a much stronger term for it, which I'm probably not going to use on this podcast. Uh, but yeah, they they were baying for every call to go their way, and yeah, they got a few. The Eels got some as well. Um, but they uh, that game did not go to script for them. Uh, the Eels rattled the cage early, and when they pushed back, the Eels stood back up and delivered the big swing, uh, the big counter blow. So. Yeah, a quick question for you. I mean, it was raised as a topic during the coverage. Mm-hmm. How much does this loss impact the Panthers? Now, they're going to finish top two. They're deservedly at the top of the table. You you can't take anything away from a club that performs so consistently over so many seasons and are going for a three-peat, there has to be respect for that. But you've got injured, the injury concern coming out of it with mm-hmm. Luai. You had a couple of players that were a bit knocked up and therefore rested coming into the game. Does Cleary now rest players as he intended to do next week and risk going into the finals on the back of consecutive losses. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it... it and a uh, hundred and something thousand dollars short in the pockets too for the team. Yeah, look, I don't think they I don't think they give a damn about the money that's there for the minor premiership. It's it's pathetic, let's face it. You, you deserve far more to be minor premiers. Uh, that's that's a reward for. I mean that the minor premiership is basically what the English uh, Premier League. That's right. It, it it's wins a first, their titles. Determine their titles. The post. It's it's a more. I love the drama of sudden death football of the elimination final series, but first past the post is a a truer reflection of consistency across the weight of an entire season and the team that was the best team across, you know, 20 and in other codes, a lot more games, you know, 60 if it's in baseball or well, they've got also, they also got elimination series too, which doesn't really count. But yeah, in EPL, you play a lot more games and yeah, the, the team that's the best for, you know, six months, seven months wins, not the team that got hot for four games. Well, mark that down as a potential discussion point in our weekly podcast between now and during the final series. Mm-hmm. Uh but, uh, and, you know, just as a reminder to listeners, we will continue the podcast because there uh, we, we have the NRLW team, we potentially have the flag team going, and there's always plenty to talk about that's happening in the NRL. So whilst it might not be a th- times a week podcast because there won't be instant reactions if there's no matches to do an instant reaction on, uh, we will have our podcast, and I think that's a worthwhile topic what is the suitable reward for winning the minor premiership? But anyway, they, I mean, do would someone like Cleary just stick to his gun? I, I think I have the answer to this, and I think you probably <laughs> do too. But it, will he stick to his plan, stick to his guns, and just rest, rest players next week, therefore basically gifting the Cowboys a top eight spot? Um, you see, I reckon if they, if they play a like a team, if they play as a team that has most of the big name stars rested and it's essentially a New South Wales Cup team, I would suggest that the Cowboys could put a score on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Cowboys got plenty of strike, and the Penrith Cup team uh, isn't 
as hot as it has been in recent years. Like it's still a good yeah. side, but it's not an incredible side. Yeah, exactly. They've got some promising players in there, but they haven't got players who are, I guess, are literally at first grade standard where they were the benchmark in, well, last year they were the benchmark in four grades, winning the uh, SG Ball Flag New South Wales Cup and NRL. And this year you see them, well, they didn't win the SG Ball. They're, I think, sitting around about fourth in Flag. I can't remember where they're sitting in New South Wales Cup, but they're certainly not the dominant team in New South Wales uh, they Cup. They are entering the round in six, so they're actually outside the finals uh, as we enter the final round, and the Eels have a yeah. chance to play sport, I mean, especially if they end up calling up players. Oh, sorry, that's this week. Um, the Eels can play spoilers this week uh, in that regard and actually kick him out of the finals, a win for the Parramatta, yeah. and I think... They're on equal points with the Seagulls, the Blacktown Walker Seagulls. So there's some four and against, and there's a two points of four and against between them. So, or a magnitude of loss is also another uh, factor in this one. But yeah, Eels win on the weekend is a very good chance that the Panthers aren't playing finals football like the Eels. So, what's your call? What will Cleary do? Um, I think that Cleary, and you know, he's won two titles in a row. His eye is always going to be on the big prize, and uh, a loss next week in the NRL doesn't mean too much. Second place v first place, it, it's some nice pocket change for the team if they get the minor premiership. And like you said, it's not really a, a reward reflective of what should be, you know, nearly as prestigious as winning the premiership, really. Um, but, yeah, if if resting players like he did last year uh, for the finals um, and the year before as well he's done it, uh, is the formula that gets the best results in the run to the big dance then he's going to rest them regardless. I don't think the minor premiership weighs that heavily on his mind. Um, in regards to the other sort of question you posed in terms of what does a loss mean for the Panthers, maybe in a football sense, um, I think the Panthers would, and again, I know that they've beaten us in the finals, but we've played them incredibly tight in 2021 where I'd argue we should have won. Uh, and then uh, most recently, you know, they got the two wins in the final series in 2022. Uh, but if the Eels were in the final series, I think that would maybe weigh something on their mind. They would actually have some consideration saying, yeah, this team, I, I, they, they can still match it with us. I think the only team that really can play the brand of football that we can play against Penrith is maybe the Broncos, uh, with who you know have some rapid speed on the edges and some big forwards that can generate second-phase play. But I don't think their forwards can generate the kind of second-phase play that we do at our best against Penrith. That's not to say that the Broncos can't beat the Panthers with their own brand of football. Uh, but, yeah, I think the Panthers are happy to see the back of us and... Uh, even though they would obviously be confident meeting us in the final still. But we are definitely uh, one of those teams, that, or one of the maybe the only teams that has consistently been a fawn in their side. Hence that five wins out of their 16 losses in the regular season since 2020. So my next question to you is, this final game from the Eels, is it indicative of what the Eels should have been capable of in the back half of the season, or was it simply that the pressure was off, it allowed for the mindset to be um, maybe not as negative? Like, you know, the, the previous weeks, it's, I, I think the mindset was maybe like, oh, geez, I hope we can win. Oh, you know, we, we you know, can we get through it? Can we, can we do this? So they were qu asking questions of themselves. Whereas I think tonight they were going out there and saying, you know what, we can, we, we can beat this team. 
no dramas. You know, let, mm-hmm. let's go out there and get yep. the job done. Yeah, I, I will say full credit to the boys, full credit to the team. You know, those rugby league cliches there. Um, they absolutely proved me wrong in my evaluation coming into this game. Um, obviously, I tipped a big loss. Um, I, I thought that we weren't going to be able to compete in multiple phases and in, in multiple facets. But it looks like they found a way, uh, you know, and I don't know if it's because the, the pressure's off or, or whatnot, because I would have argued that the pressure being off would, make, would have been a bigger factor towards them not competing. They found a way to hit the reset button this week. I don't know what they did. I don't know what was said. Um, certain players, like we mentioned with uh, the 2019 Sevo uh, reference, you know, look like they'd been shot out of a cannon this game. Uh, the team were turning up in numbers. There was aggression in defense. They were piling in on the goal line to hold up Panthers at every turn. You know, I know Penrith ended up scoring four tries, but one of them was off a, an actual NFL pass uh, that the touchy was right in line with. And I'm going to talk about that later because I'm, I'm going to start demanding that we stop paying touchies if not going to do their jobs. Do your job. Well, I think that I think that's going to come in with the you cannot be serious stinger. Do I just your have that jobs. feeling. <laughs> uh, but, and, and I'm Liam Martin scored a cheap one with uh, Dejan Arcee, who had actually been quite good the entire entirety of that game, but he. Uh, Got a little bit sloppy in defense there. Um, so, And the first try Penrith scored was a really well-constructed one. That was like actually just a very good backline move that uh, pulled us down for numbers down our right edge. It wasn't like we did anything uh, awful. So we, we defended really well. Uh, we were really hungry. We saw Jermaine Hopgood diving on a ball, putting his body on the line from a short dropout. Uh, we saw guys, you know, just getting in in attack and defense. like they, Just the sort of hunger we hadn't seen for a while. And like I said, I don't know how they did it. Because they, they had nothing to play for this week. Yeah, mathematically, we're still a chance of making the finals. That was on the line. Um, you know, we, we need two results to go away, including an absolute trouncing uh, of the South Sydney Rabbitohs by the Roosters. But before that, we need the Roosters to lose to the Tigers this week. So um, if we'd managed to put on another 20, 30 points against uh, the Panthers tonight, it would have been very interesting. That that would have made for a very interesting weekend, I'll tell you that. If we'd managed to, yeah. if we'd managed to move the points differential target to... Around thirty points for the what the Roosters had to get instead of uh, I think it's about sixty right now. Uh, that would have made for a very interesting uh, next weekend, assuming that the Tigers got the job done this week. Uh, but yeah, they they just turned up and like I said, full credit to them because they absolutely proved me wrong. Yeah, and one of the interesting things for me at training was listening to BA give the instructions about the the defence, especially down there in the red zone and uh, about which players have, have certain jobs and how they need to move and move off the line. And it was good to see the players actually following the instructions and the defensive structure to the T. Yeah, because uh, we, we've, uh, we've seen in the past that, you know, you, you've intimated that the game plan hasn't always been executed the way it's been practised in training. And we saw that tonight. Yeah. Like, they went out there and it was all effort and all execution. And you get those two E's together... And that generally means excellence. Yeah, and and it really was, as as I said, like tonight, the effort on effort, the focus, it was, it was one. I I believe this game was one between the ears mm-hmm. by the ears, because, as I said, the the focus was there, but the the self belief was obviously there, and they just didn't waver from what they were doing. And I know that BA, the instruction that you heard at half time was that he said, you know, don't go out there protecting the lead. I want to see, you know, keep going with the offloads, keep playing positive football. 
and it was a bit tighter from our perspective. But I think that became the nature of the game because it, we were certainly having to come off our line really deep throughout the second half. And it, I think it was that second half was just as much about the measure of our defence mm-hmm. and the resolve over 80 minutes than it was for, um, you know, trying to put a big score on the Panthers. So a um, lot to be positive about there. Now, I mentioned it before. I want to throw that name, Mike Acevo, to you because we saw four tries there. You you referenced it as being 2019 Sevo, which it probably was. He looked like a man possessed, especially in that first half. Do you think he's had some sort of a rocket yeah, something, delivered? Something has been said. There, there is no way that comes out unprompted, unprovoked. And, you know, maybe it, it was a very honest conversation because of how good he can be versus, you know, what he's sort of been drudging out every week. Um, you know, he scored some tries in that game and while they're all short range... Uh, only a handful select elite wingers can score in the game. Uh, the one where he got the high shot, where I think it was Brian Toor who got him on the ankles, I'm pretty certain Toor stops 95% of NRL wingers if that tackle. Uh, but he, yeah. had, he had the power to get through it. Um, you know, we saw some quality kick returns. He was running smarter, not just harder. He found the gap. Uh, we saw some real, not just, we, we even... Even when his form's been trending down, we've seen some aggression in defense. That's why he literally got a four-game suspension. He jams in aggressively. He he commits hard to the jam. We saw that tonight with the target zone being in the right place. We also saw him doubling up from marker twice in that yeah. game. Yeah, you know? yeah, that is we we just don't see that. He, uh, there was one, there was one lazy Sevo moment right at the end when there was the um, chase through on um, on a kick. And I think the uh, the ball might have gone to ground, and um, in in bit of a mad scramble. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was a little bit lazy there, but that was about the only thing that I could be critical of with him in this game. See, the the remarkable thing is, is that we on TCT, it, I mean, we just don't see um, replies to. Um, posts there, but we get a lot of direct uh, messages sent to us. And so many people had been contacting us and sending messages, um, you know, the Eels need to get rid of Sevo. The Eels need... And and last week in our uh, reaction podcast... Yeah, we had a frank conversation about it. If you had to cut bait with one player from your back line to free up cap space, it was 100% Micah Sevo. Yeah, well, it was 100% Micah because he was... Uh, one of the people that's on big money. Well, relative, relatively. He'd be on, he'd be on, he'd, he's on decent coin mm. where it would make a difference if if another club was to and take him. So that's that he, he, his name came up because he hadn't been producing first grade form. The Mike Siva that we saw tonight would never come up in discussions. No. And not only that, and, and I'm saying this with a caveat, I, I, I can. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's back. I realize completely, no, no. completely. This no, is an outlier. This is an outlier game as it stands. But yep. that it, it highlighted what a difference 2019 Mike Acevo, that sort of caliber of winger makes to this team. The ability to start and finish sets with some real impetus, you know, up against the best team in the competition. And I know Penrith weren't full strength. Uh, neither were the Parramatta Eels. You know, no Mitchell Moses. 
uh, on top of some other guys too. Uh, but uh, a quality winger, you know, just just one of them because Sean Russell did a good job there too. But you know, he, he certainly he can't impact the game the way Marcus Sivu can right now. You know, and maybe Sean's going to develop into a, a plus and a winger still. He's got you know speed, finesse, and some good skills. But Micah has a niche that no one else in this team can fill. You know, with the ability to be an absolute powerhouse. You know, inside both twenties, and yeah. Wow, you know, just illuminating to see what how much of a difference it can make for this team to have him back in that sort of form, even if it was only for eighty minutes. Now the um, the performances that that stood out. I mean, statistically, I don't think. Well, I don't think the numbers tell the full story. I, I thought the last two weeks we've seen a very good Dylan Brown as a halfback. And uh, even later tonight, as a fullback. I mean, the the play he put on for the first try. I mean, who who, yeah. else, who else does that in the NRL? Joey Manu. That I can see him making that sort of play to be able to stretch a defense from a scrum like that and still get a ridiculous one-handed flick offload away. Um, we we saw a player that was playing. It felt like you know three or four hats: halfback, five eight, fullback, uh, and maybe it's food for thought for BA and Trent Barrett too. Uh, for maybe not just him, but also Mitchell Moses, the ability to use either half as a fullback, not not in the conventional sense, like don't stick him at fullback for 80 minutes, but in the red zone, you can get him, the way the Roosters used to use Luke Keery when he still had all of his speed and the ability to go into contact without fear of ending his career, uh, to strip an edge for numbers and create some unique attacking looks, uh, because that was a, yeah, very, very good game from Dill. And even, he actually had probably a season high missed tackle count of seven, uh, but that was, you know, obviously balanced between fullback, uh, halfback, and then, you know, wherever else it was patching in, in the goal line at that point. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I thought that, yeah, that was an interesting talking point. But now let's talk about Junior off the bench. Mm, that, that You talk about food for thought. Um, yeah. I, I, in a game where I thought Reg was a bit quiet, uh, Penrith obviously really went after him in the early exchanges, and I thought Woody was pretty good. Um, his compliment to Reg, yeah, Junior came on and, and really just kept the tempo pumping, didn't he? You know, he wasn't trying to force silly offloads. He was running strong. He actually um, saved a couple of kicks as well, by the way. There was uh, one, he got back a grubber kick on the in goals, and then there was a chip kick that he got back and caught. So some great situational awareness from the big fella, some really good impact. We mentioned his numbers before, but 180 metres or close enough. I think it was 19 tackles for one missed, zero ineffective. So he had himself a whale of a game. And look, we, we've mentioned a few times it's been a long two years for Junior Barlow. I don't think anyone in the NRL has played as many games of him since the start of 2022 uh, between NRL, State of Origin, and repping in the World Cup for Samoa. Uh, he, he's barely missed a game. And you could see the fatigue took a toll on him this year. And uh, it's one of those quite, like, difficult things for the coaching staff because you, you can't shut him down because he is so integral to this team. And you try and load manage him, but in a way... It only, you know, sort of minimises the damage. But to his credit, and I know the season was lost at that point, but he, he turned it on the last few weeks. I think he's, he's finished. Uh, of all the eels in the team, in the sort of that bad streak, maybe he can hold his head up among the highest. Yeah. And, uh, but do you, do you think someone like Junior is, as he gets into, his senior years, because we're 
we're talking about a bloke that's going to be in his thirties. Is the is coming off the bench going to be oh, his answer? It, it's it's definitely uh, a consideration, like a strong consideration moving forwards. Um, obviously, if Junior can go as a starting prop, you want him there because if he's still got the the juice to be uh, an elite starting prop, and we'll wait and see what this preseason bears in terms of recuperative and restorative sort of uh, impact. Uh, but if he can go as a starting prop, you keep him there. But he's got the sort of game that can transition wonderfully, I think, to an impact role off the bench. You strip back his minutes, uh, you, you give him more of a license to be aggressive, uh, running the ball, and also being a, a you know distributor or an offloader. Uh, and yeah, and defensively, we know that he can, he, you know, we, we've always worked Junior in a way that we don't, you know, push him for big defensive workloads. And that's not to say that he hasn't made game, like, you know, made 30 plus tackles in plenty of games. But if you watch the disparity between him and some of the other forwards, you know, Junior's, you know, consistently in sort of like the low 20s. Other guys are 30 plus. So, yeah, he, he could absolutely, if uh, opportunity or necessity or, you know, just, you know, form and the sort of, uh, timeline of his career push him towards that I think it's a not necessarily a bad thing for both him and the team now in terms of the overall team what is a win like this in the final game of the year when they're not going to qualify for finals football apart from probably causing more frustration than anything else for Eels fans I mean look we've got to enjoy the win uh, the players have to enjoy the win because that's what football's about. However, we'll acknowledge that there's going to be frustration mm -hmm. from supporters with that because you. the first question is, where's that been in the last few weeks? But all that aside, you've got a team that coming into the preseason, we know that there are still holes in the roster. But does a performance like that say to you, that the core of the team is still relatively strong and that with luck, with injuries or suspensions uh, or, or maybe better discipline so there's not suspensions, but with a bit of luck in the season, that the, the team can still play finals football next year? Or do we straight out say, look, um, it, this was a one-off um you know, the, the Panthers were off, um, you know, it means nothing, a game like this. Um, and again, we talked about self-belief. They went into the match with a bit of self-belief. You'd have to think the Eels. Does it, does it help their mindset coming into the preseason or, you know, will it mean nothing to them by the time the preseason or next year run, rolls around? what's your take on what the match and the win actually means? Well, we had a couple of somber conversations in the wake of recent losses, uh, obviously getting humiliated by Brisbane, backing that up into the loss against the Roosters where, you know, we, we talked about bridging years and whatnot. And, and I, if I recall correctly, because I know that this is my stance, uh, as it has been my stance since the entire period, even with, you know, the degree of pessimism that's been there for both of us, uh, and I, I do believe I articulated, if I recall correctly, but was that uh, with a full-strength roster next year, um, I, I am still confident we're absolutely top eight and maybe even borderline top four contenders. My question was, A, like you mentioned with the depth in the back line, whether we've, we've hit those sort of recruitment goals, and B, uh, again, feeling like a need for a lot of stars to line up for us to 
not make the finals, but to be a, a legitimate threat in the big games at the end of the season. Uh, you know, we yeah. we need to be fully healthy. We need other teams to maybe be a bit banged up. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes that happens. You, you absolutely see premierships from teams that had stars aligned, went on good runs, um, you know, and that could still be a factor for the Eels, but I don't want that to be a factor for Parramatta. That's why I was so frustrated in that conversation was I want to be more in control of our destiny. I wanted to have the players on the roster that could take us to a final. And, yeah, I, I, I think, and as much as people accuse us of being optimistic, I think maybe we have undersold how impacted this roster has been. I know you've written about it uh, to a great length, but how impacted this roster has been by injuries and suspension. And the fact that uh, I, I'm Clint might be able to back us up for this on Tuesday or whenever we do the, uh, the podcast next week. But I'm, I'm reasonably confident we haven't had our full-strength team all year, 1-17. to 17. We oh, to, I would almost guarantee that that hasn't given, been the given case. Simply just because of Sean Lane's ins and outs with the roster, uh, lining out with a couple other injuries, I, I am reasonably confident yeah. we have not had our 1-17 locked in, um, especially when you consider some breakout players like Woody and whatnot who also had a long-term layoff. Uh, yeah, if we get the 1-17 back next year, and if Mike Acevo is, you know, he doesn't have to play like this every week, right? Obviously, I would love him to. But if he is, you know, even remotely capable of producing that on some sort of consistent basis, uh, suddenly you're, you're talking top four again. And obviously, from there, you, you're, you're an outside chance at the premiership. I just, yeah, I've got those two concerns uh, heading into next year, being depth in the back line, like you've been harping on about 60s, because right now it's just, it is not where it needs to be. Um, and then the other side being... Uh, that X-Factor player they've been banging on about recruiting but haven't been able to find to be the difference maker when the games are much closer. And yeah, right now, yeah. This, this team, this was a reminder uh, to, to them, to supporters, to the NRL, that they can mix it with the best in the competition, even under adversity. Yeah, look, I know that there's probably going to be more supporters out there being negative about a win against the Panthers tonight than probably what there should be. It's the nature of the beast because there's the feelings about the overall season. Yeah, you've you squandered a run to the finals. One more win, two more wins, you're, you're guaranteed. One more win, you're a great chance of making it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. When you look back, at, there was a lot of milk spilt this year. Like the Eels, they botched a lot of chances. And there were some tough losses, some bad luck, some games they lost where they definitely shouldn't have. So, you know, they're, they're all factors. And when they do the review... Uh, whether it's a, you know, just the, the football crew doing their review of the players, a debrief, there's always an exit sort of a process with our players and stuff. Or if there's a bigger club review, maybe there will be, I don't know. Um, there, there's absolutely going to be a lot of stuff they're going to say, well, you guys, put, you know, you botched it, you, you messed up there. But equally a big factor is the stuff out of our control, the injuries, not the suspensions really, because that is something that you can control by being more disciplined. And yeah, that that is a brutal stat, the fact that we doubled up on number two in the competition for time out, time missed, um, and we missed what was it a full season's worth of a play, like one player's full season's worth of our games at the end, pretty much sixties. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, they were massive factors. And again, uh, that speaking of those factors, it, it's a credit to the team that without Mitchell Moses, the player that more than any other has carried us to victory against the Panthers, on the back of his ability to flip the field with his kicking game, to organise the team and to spark some serious uh, attacking raids against them, they, they found a way to win without him. And, yeah, I, I think that does bode well for next year. Uh, but one good win, obviously, one little swallow does not a summer make. And um, the big priority for me is getting fit and healthy for the preseason into round one. 
And I think from this game, the only concern really is the captain, Quentin Gufferson, who again, absolutely heroic. I mean, he, he was outstanding. There were some plays he made in the first half in that flurry where he was weaving through the defensive line, floating po- uh, passes through defenders to find Mike Acevo, uh, popping up everywhere. Um, obviously, he was not fully fit. Uh, got banged up, I think, uh, competing for a ball that was bouncing dead uh, off a Will Penasini kick at one point, and that, that sort of spiralled into the second half where he ended up getting taken out. And Look, I, I don't want to put Voss and Ennis on blast too much but because I, I, I don't think they realised the significance of the injury at the time. Like, it wasn't a, you know, a season ender. Well, it was a season ender, you know what I mean? It wasn't like that sort of season ender. Uh, but he was clearly in a bit of discomfort and they were going on about the old dats and trying to get a push start and, you know, he's trying to bang it in the place and whatnot. It just it, it felt a little bit uh, distasteful for me. Yep. So, mate, yeah, look, I with regard to the Eels and, and what it might mean for next season as far as I'm concerned, the way that I look at it is there has to be an element of change within the roster and what I mean by that is we've got older players like there's I think there's something like eight to ten of the likely uh, 17 first choice 17 at this stage who will be turned 30 years or older or 29 years or older in next year like during the calendar year next year obviously all spread out different times of the season. So there might be someone now who's who's 28, and I'm saying, well, they're turning 30 next year because their their birthday is going to come in the next month or two where they'll turn 29 and then they'll turn 30 next year. But that's it's still the fact that you're looking at a whole lot of players who are 30, 29, 30 or older. In fact, most of them are 30 or older. I think there's, a, there's only one who turns 29 next year. So... It's a significant part of the roster. We have to start to see some of the young players being blooded next year. I don't have any doubts about that. And uh, we have seen that there's been players who have made their debut over the last few years, their NRL debut and their Parramatta debut. But there has to be change there. We have to get play. We have to hit that player market and add players. Now, we may not be able to add that difference maker. If we don't add the difference maker, I I don't know that we will be anything like a premiership contender. (laughs) I think we we need someone significant, and I think it's a – obviously, it's going to be a backline player that is going to – That that comes back to the conversation we had, Spark from NRL 360, like, I would love ice back. But you cannot go and sign ice unless you're confident you can resolve the backline issue as well. Yeah, yeah, and those those rumours are swirling around about Isaiah Papali'i. Um, how much credence there is to it, we, we don't know. But they're not going away. Uh, and as we said, we wouldn't knock back ice coming, but we also need to be very definite about. Uh, recruitment targets that will make a significant change to what the eels are capable of. And that basically means we need greater depth in the backs. We have to be able to provide options for a start. I mean, before we even think about a strike player, 
we need options. Like if there's if there's injuries, obviously you need options, but you also need options for drop in form. For That's any right. drop in form. You you need people nipping at the heels of your incumbents. Uh, you know, if you do have a slump like we saw from Mike Acevo, you need to have someone that can credibly replace him, not only as a threat to, you know, light a fire for Micah, but just for the team's sake itself. You need, a, you know, a, a guy you can throw in there and be confident that he's going to come in and do the job. Yep. Now, mate, you were champing at the bit to say something about um, those flag-carrying officials. Um, I feel a stinger coming on. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. I'm done with touchy 60s. Just get rid of them. Like, I've got gripes with the main official in the bunker, but, you know, they've got tough jobs. They've got to watch a lot of stuff. Touchies literally have, like, two jobs, offside and forward passes. And, yeah, they they help out with some other stuff too, but they've got two callings, and they don't do either of them very well. We we saw the Panthers score there. Was it their final try, the Jenkins try? I'm pretty certain it was their last try, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, the 77th minute. That, that was an actual NFL pass. And the commentators were praising the Panthers and Cleary for the great backline move. It was passed about four metres before the line, and he caught it on the line. And like, yeah, if you're not going to do nothing. your job, don't get paid. Just get, get rid of them. No, no, there was there was not the slightest thing that was mentioned about that. Now, look, there's probably not too much in the way of controversy during the match, although it was there was an interesting call with Sean Russell where – he wanted to get oh, that ball out into the field of play. And Garverson blew up about it. And the tackle was complete. And it got punched out. That's a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. I, know. I mean, to, to be fair, the bunker ruled that he dropped the ball some way, somehow, before the ball was knocked, punched out. He, he clearly had possession the entire time. That tackle yeah. was complete. That was a penalty. Uh, yeah. But they, you know, they gave the Panthers a scrum instead of a, a try. So I suppose that's a silver lining for the Parramatta Eagles there. But yeah, that... Like I said, I got I got gripes with the main officials in the bunker too, and my my hierarchy of, of issues right now is Touchy's bunker and by far this inferred the main officials. Like I complain on the podcast about them, but like I always say, they've got a tough job, uh, and the bunker is frustrating because they so just they're literally brought in under the banner of bringing more consistent decisions to the game, and in the course of like the same day with the same bunker crew, uh, they get the same situation done differently. And that's obviously a big issue in my book and for most fans, I imagine. But yeah, touchy is just, I don't understand. We, we have players offside all the time that aren't being called out. We have forward passes and you, you cop borderline calls like the forward passes that are, you know, marginal or whatnot. And whether they're caught or not caught, yeah, it's frustrating what happens, but whatever. But when there is an actual NFL pass out there and they miss it and they were standing in line, like you can catch a replay, they're all there. They just let it go. Now, what I want to know is, can I recruit you to the uh, Flag Boy uh, Wake Up Call Brigade next year? Can I get you on board with the Wake Up Flag Boy calls throughout the game? Uh, I don't know if you can, 60s, because I'm usually just like standing up in disbelief doing the, the John Travolta from uh, Pulp Fiction sort of thing, looking around like what, like, what the hell just happened? Like, come on. Uh, but... Yeah, in, in my mind, though, maybe I'll, I'll be a, a sneaky recruit to the Wake Up Flag Boy movement because, or, or Flag Girl, uh, given we've got uh, plenty of uh, ladies running around the touchlines too. We're, we're equal opportunity referee uh, complaining machine 60s. <laughs> very, very true. Now, I think we're probably at the point of our, in this, our final instant reaction podcast of the year um, to give our three, two, ones. For yeah. this game, uh, 
this is a game where I think, again, a lot of players could be uh, in the mix of points or should be in the mix of points. But uh, my three, and I feel like even though he didn't play the full game, I think he typified how the Eels got up for this one. And I, I think you remove him from this equation and, and even a lot of other outstanding performances, the Eels don't win this one. And I think it's the captain, Clinton Gufferson, who was just an absolute warrior out there. Yeah, look, it's hard to go past him. But for the sake of balance and for the sake of where the game was won tonight, I'm going to go for Junior Polo mm-hmm. because um, co-captain, I thought he played a uh, a captain's knock out there. And those, I mean, we saw the, um, the running game from Junior tonight, 175 run metres, 67 post-contact metres. It was there was a statement that was made through the middle against the Panthers, and whilst the Panthers surged back to an extent during the second half, they were just finding it so hard to make the the type of line breaks and the sort of impact that they're used to making every week against all all opposition teams. And uh, I think Junior went a long way towards. Uh, what was achieved out there tonight. I would give Junior my two normally, um, and he will get my one point, so spoilers there. Uh, But there's a a select handful of people on the internet who seem to think that TCT wield incredibly influential powers at the club, uh, and we don't use them responsibly with criticism. So under that mandate, and in order to keep Mike Acevo ticking along with our incredible powers, I'm going to give him the two points as a big thumbs up for what he needs to do next year. Uh, Well... I think my two-point call is fairly easy because I steered away from him for the three points to go to the co-captain. It's impossible to go past Gutho for the two points. It was it was a game, it was an effort that was just full of um, determination. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it, just absolute... Like, Warrior doesn't even really begin to describe how how much of a fighter he is out there on the field. Uh, we've, we've talked about in the past, if he had another yard of pace, another metre of pace, he would legitimately be the best fullback in the competition. Uh, that, that is the only limiting factor on his game. And uh, whether it was, you know, it's hard to tell now like how fast he was prior to the injuries. Um, I don't think he ever had out-and-out speed, but I think he, was a lot, he still was a good, you know, half a step quicker. Uh, but Guff, I mean, and maybe that doesn't. Maybe he's not the player he is without those injuries. Maybe that's what you know uh, spurned him to become the most you know hardworking, well-rounded fullback in the game to make up for it. But yeah, uh, the, he, he's had a couple of games this season where you can argue maybe maybe he was a bit off. But games like this are a reminder of just how outstanding a player he is, uh, even with you know a lack of elite speed. Yeah. Yep. Um, now you've already flagged that uh, Junior is getting your one point. My one point could just as easily go to Mike Acevo as you gave him the two points. Well, when Mike Acevo doesn't have a big year next year, you're going to know it's TCT's fault. <laughs> and look, I, I feel I feel like the four tries, you have to get something you have to get a point uh and especially as as you said maybe there's a couple of those tries that other another winger doesn't score now all that said 
if I think about could the team have won without a particular player, and I look at tonight, and that's that certainly applies to um, Junior Paulo. It applies to Clint Gutherson, and I think it also applies to Dylan Brown. Mm. I don't think we win without Dylan Brown. And for that reason, and that reason only, uh, I have to give him a point. He has to figure in the 3-2-1. I, I think what we saw tonight and what we saw last week from Dylan Brown was mature performances. There was uh, everything about what he did seemed measured and precise. And even, you know, I think he even copped a tough call where they, they ruled that that pass of his was forward where uh, oh, I think the Panthers yeah. on. There was, yeah, Panthers knock on and I think Russell scooped it up and was looking to play on. Um, yeah, he... Dill is such a fascinating player to evaluate because he is still so young and you just know that there's still so much more to unlock in his game. Um, yeah, and we, we see... Even if as dominant as he is right now, I don't think he is near the full package yet. I think in terms of his long kicking game and stuff to work on, and I think just in terms of building around him in our uh, the way we play the ball around him, I think the Eels definitely have some things they can consider because he breaks tackles pretty much every run. You know, he, he is constantly freeing up that arm, and it just feels like we need guys being a little bit more cognizant of that uh, ability to free up the arms. But yeah, big game from him tonight, and I, I certainly can't knock you for giving him a point. Yeah, and he's an interesting study because, and and this has come up rather sneakily, I think. We've seen him be the less dominant 5'8 in games. We've seen him now have to step up as a halfback. We've seen the Eels flirt with him as a centre. We've seen him during games jump in to play dummy half. And I'm not talking about how halves will go to the dummy half role after a long kick. I'm talking about where, you know, the dummy half's gone off and, and Dylan's had to fill in for the the remainder of a game. Tonight, for the first time, we saw him go to fullback. And I've argued against people who've suggested that he has the capacity to play fullback simply because I've said he doesn't have the focus or the communication to to be a, a natural fullback. But you know, is, is, we, this, going, is this going where I think it is? Are we are we talking about an off season switch? No, no, no I'm not <laughs> I'm not suggesting what I what I'm suggesting is that his utility value is maybe something that has has snuck up oh, and yeah, hundred percent brought people by surprise. He, he could play in the back row, like that, like that, I think you could literally play Dill in any position in the team outside of eight and ten. Uh, even at thirteen, you could play him as like a ball playing lock. And I tell you what, you put him into on those two prop positions, he'll probably give it everything he's got. Well, what what would you have expected tonight? I, I expected Sean Russell to, to go to fullback. Go back there. When, yeah, uh, when uh, yeah, Russell, Russell, the fullback, Simonson to wing, and then one of the back rowers, Cart, uh, Cartwright or Madison, to go to centres, and then uh, plug in Sean Lane into the into the edge. Right, that would have been. Yeah. I know it's a lot of positions to swap, and therefore 
doing the way the Eels did was a little bit more, it was like one or two positions less impacted. Um, but maybe maybe it was Brad Arthur saying, hang on, let's let's see what we got here. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know either. I mean, it's um, it was interesting to see it happen. As I said, I, I think it's, it's further highlighted Dylan's utility value. And how would you how would you rank how he went tonight? At uh, fullback, at fullback? Uh, he had a couple of uh, tough moments under some really testing attacking kicks from Cleary, who was obviously one of the best, if not the best, in the game at it. Uh, but it wasn't like I mean the one I thought he Falcon was actually Cleary knocking it back, so uh, that wasn't on deal. Uh, but he made a couple of great tackles, and um, you saw him hustling, bowing out from dummy half to get back to fullback and, and racing cross field to make the plays. And, and in terms of offensive uh, restrictions, I don't think they were only on him. He played no. a very, very similar role. And you now it comes back to the idea I proposed at the start where maybe you can talk about Dylan playing fullback in a more serious uh, capacity. But I think in terms of in the red zone or even in the opposition half, I would love to see us use Moses and Dylan uh, either. Uh, in that sort of role where maybe you plug Gufferson into a first or second receiver and you, you let the two halves who have the best pace in the team uh, get into it in the fullback position. Well, there are no restrictions as to where any player can can bob up in the mm-hmm. modern game. It's not like, it's not like the old uh, rugby league where you used to have, you know, your halfback, your 5'8 would play outside your halfback, your... You're inside centre, you're outside centre, um, you know, the, looking for that sort of structure. Uh, we've already seen that the rules of, of or, or the expectations around certain positions have changed where we've seen the lock roll evolve. I mean, many years ago, back in the early 90s, we saw the dummy half roll change where the the dummy half became part of what's now called the spine and... Uh, some of the elite players in the game are your dummy halves where the once the once the scrum stopped being uh, contested um, you were you were essentially looking at uh, a dummy half who might have a good workload in terms of being able to tackle but now they're you know you want a strike weapon in some way out of you want someone who can read the game in in the dummy half they're uh, some of the most important players in the team so Rugby league has evolved. So what you're saying just there in in that, okay, let's think outside the box in terms of how the attack is structured and where certain players are positioned. Um, hey, like, we see front rowers standing out at 5'8 or centre off scrums. So why wouldn't there be, uh, you know, a, a rethink around what's going to happen? Because with, really... Uh, the, the entire process of attacking is about creating mismatches. You're trying to spot up guys in advantageous positions, right? You're trying to you know, disadvantage the defense by creating numbers, creating overlaps, or giving guys that can beat someone else in a one-on-one, two-on-two situation the best looks possible. And I feel like guys like Moses and Dylan are our best opportunists at creating those sort of uh, you know, looks for Will Penasini, for Bailey Simonson, you know, for our edge-back rolls and wingers. So it's, yeah. I think it's something that warrants a look because it, it doesn't even require, like we're talking about, it's not like it's a, a radical paradigm shift defensively and offensively. You're not asking Dylan or Moses to uh, learn how to cover fullback properly to you know defend 4020s and 2040s. 
uh, which Guffo did in this game, actually. There was a 20-40 attempt that he easily snuffed out. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely uh, some space to explore there. Yeah, well, it'll be, be interesting to see what next year has in store because guess what? That's what we're going to be literally having to focus on moving forward is oh, next year. We, we, we still have uh, – hang on, where is – where is the NRL schedule here? We have to wait until Saturday, the very earliest, to be officially out of the race for the finals. Uh, but if the Tigers do win, then we get the cling for hope against hope that the Roosters put on... Uh, where is the points differential? Yeah, exactly 61 points of points differential. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's going to happen, guys. Just trust. But, yeah, you know, obviously the Eel season is... Uh, 99.9999% done, and we, we now focus on what's moving forwards. In the positives, though, we do have some live football to cover still. Uh, we're going to farewell Jordan Rankin on Saturday, and the Jersey Flag are looking to book a spot in the finals of a win over Penrith while also asking the Canberra Raiders to upset the Melbourne Storm, although upset in a, in a loose term. It's not like they're rank outsiders. that are two wins behind the, the Storm. They're not exactly a terrible team. But yeah, it, on top of that, we've got the NRLW playing another, what, four weeks, including this week of uh, competition. So we've got plenty of Parramatta football coming up, uh, especially if the Jersey Flag can manage to get into the finals. And while they'll be sneaking in on the competition ladder, I don't think there's any doubt they can make some noise if they get in their 60s. Yeah, I, I, it's a game that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, to watching tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, although we're, we're not, as we record this, we're not too far away from um, being able to say no, tomorrow. Yes. It's recorded late at yeah, night. Very late uh, at night, um, by virtue of being a, a Thursday night primetime game and a hearty discussion afterwards. But yeah, nice way to end the season, even if it's, you know, obviously academic. And I maybe it does move the needle for me a little bit, 60s. I think maybe. Uh, it is a reminder of how much this team still has in the tank when everyone's fit or even close to fit um, against even the best in the competition. But, you know, the players need to prove next year that this wasn't a one-and-done sort of situation. They can maintain the fire uh, throughout the course of the entire season. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, once again, thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and also Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Might I also say that I would anticipate that there is going to be a grades that's going up this week. If you checked out Goals Preview, as he said, he was partway through the grades last week and it just became a, a bit too much for him to, to finish off. Yeah. It, which was which was understandable. So I think we are gonna well, I think our readers who miss the grades will see the the grades appear within the next day or two. Um, please stick with uh, the coverage that we'll continue to provide on the Cumberland Throw. If you're listening to this on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, like, all the sorts of things that help us with our metrics. Uh, it would be much appreciated. And uh, thank you to all our listeners. Thank you for sticking with us in what has been a strange year. Some good times, some not so good times. Um, that's generally the way it is for Parramatta Reels supporters. So thank you. Thank you, John, for uh, your fine work and which we will continue to see and peop uh, players, uh, people continue to be able to hear 
as we continue the podcast through the final series and also whenever there is news to be heard uh, throughout the off-season and pre-season. And as I always say, go you mighty eels.